Welcome to Irish Exit Everything. My name is Frank, and we can take a look around the country and around the world and clearly see that we need to change some things, to say the least. California got pounded by the Pineapple Express. Not the movie, the atmospheric river that brought a crazy amount of heavy rain. Florida swimming in a red tide of toxic algae. There are trains derailing in the north and the south. 345 million people in the world are food insecure. Over 30 million just in the U.S. And many more only saw some semblance of food security because they depend on charitable food programs. And even those are getting difficult to maintain because of inflation. These are not random, isolated incidents. The global climate crisis, global pandemics, global conflict, global supply chain disruptions, they're all interconnected, intertwined. And a problem in one area intensifies problems in the others, especially within the global economic system that prioritizes profits over anything else. And climate change might be the ultimate amplifier. Weather always has the last say, and it clearly has a lot to say. Climate change affects how we grow food and how we distribute it. Extreme drought and, ironically, the opposite, more frequent rainfall, which means more floods, makes crops fail and destroys infrastructure. Other extreme weather events like hurricanes force folks to migrate, and we know that's a source of tension, unfortunately. A growing global population will be corralled into smaller and smaller areas least affected by climate change, which will worsen conflicts and make pandemics more likely. It's a mess. And unfortunately, it's only going to get worse before it gets better, if we can change some things now. But I want to be very clear. We can change things. It's not easy, but it is possible. Much of the working class, especially farmers, ranchers, folks in logistics, are on the front lines of climate change. And we are capable of addressing these issues and feeding people, all people. We can feed everyone. Now, I don't have all the answers, and not any one individual will. But we need to have ongoing conversations with each other. So for the third year in a row, I went to the USDA's Agricultural Outlook Forum. I attended virtually, but next year will be the 100th annual forum. So that might be cool to attend in person. Even cooler if they let me have an official press pass, but that's not likely. But this year's theme was Seeds of Growth Through Innovation. Again, there's clearly a need to innovate, but what sort of innovations was this forum suggesting? Well, first, these forums always start with an economic overview. And the number one thing on everyone's mind, inflation and prices. The good news, inflation should come down a bit. The bad news, it'll likely still be higher than before the pandemic for a while. Now, if you believe in or even care about the apparent interaction between supply and demand, you'd imagine that a bigger supply of something would reduce demand because there's more to go around. So that means the price should also go down, right? Well, the USDA is predicting, weather permitting, that farmers should have a pretty good yield this year, more supply, so crop prices should go down. But strangely, we, the consumers, can expect prices at the grocery store to keep going up. So even with inflation easing a bit and farmers hopefully having a pretty good yield, we can expect to pay about 8% more at the grocery store. That doesn't add up, but we'll come back to that. Zooming out, the U.S. exported about $196 billion worth of farm and food products last year, a new record, with China being our number one customer, which means starting shit with China makes absolutely no sense. But we're importing more than we're exporting, and any business guru would tell you that's not good for profits. 
if you care about that sort of thing. And speaking of profits, most farmers didn't make any. 2022 showed near record highs for farm income. It'll drop this year, but farm income is still better than average. But many farmers didn't make income. And of those who did make money, didn't make it from farming. Excuse me? Farm incomes are at near record highs and farmers didn't make money? How does that make sense? Because production costs are up. It costs too much money to put seeds in the ground and harvest what you grow that it erases any money the farmers hope to make. Really, the only farmers who are making a profit are the big industrial farms with thousands of acres who gobble up the small family-owned farms. So USDA Secretary Thomas Vilsack wanted to make it clear that we're in a pivotal moment for U.S. agriculture. He asked the crowd, do we want a system that continues to see further consolidation and the impact that has on farming communities? Or are we innovative enough to find another way? And he assures us there's a different way to approach the future rather than just get big or get out of the way. Okay, that's based. What's this innovation? Straight from the mouth of the USDA secretary, he says, every farm can become a center of entrepreneurship. We can create five, six, seven different ways for farmers to generate additional streams of revenue. It's not just get big anymore, it's diversify. Yeah. That'll do it. Farmers just need to diversify their resumes. They need new revenue streams. Harvest up a new hustle, baby. The USDA secretary wants to turn the agricultural economy into a gig economy. Your local farmer can sell you their organic strawberries when they pick you up in an Uber. That's obviously not exactly what the secretary is suggesting, but that's the general idea, right? He thinks farmers could do other things on top of farming to make ends meet. And the argument is by creating these new revenue streams, farms would generate more income, which they would use to create more jobs, and those jobs would build a better sense of community. And it would all be about reinforcing local and regional food systems, which would be a good thing. And to accomplish this while also addressing climate change, the USDA is investing $3.1 billion into 141 partnerships for climate-smart commodity projects with the hope of essentially encouraging farmers to use more eco-friendly farming practices that will either reduce their greenhouse gas emissions or sequester carbon from the atmosphere. So, for example, planting a cover crop after you harvest your typical money-making crop, that would be a sustainable farming practice. Like, you plant corn, which American farmers love planting, and then after that, you plant, let's say, winter wheat. So one of these projects with the USDA could look into making planting a cover crop like winter wheat more profitable for farmers who choose to do that by helping to create a market for those cover crops. And that's just one possibility. There are many other things these projects could try to do through which the USDA hopes to reach 60,000 farms and estimates to sequester 60 million metric tons of carbon if they get farmers on board. So Secretary Vilsack assures us that the agricultural outlook is bright if we invest in these seeds of innovation which are all about creating these multiple opportunities for farmers to profit. But nobody in this forum stopped to ask, why should anyone profit from solving the climate crisis? Yes, obviously we should invest in innovation and solutions, but we should do that for the sake of reversing climate change and feeding people, not for profit. But we know who hasn't been making a profit, the vast majority of American workers and farmers, who would apparently have to work multiple gigs just to survive. So I can understand why incentivizing these farming practices as a potential money-making endeavor could be enticing for farmers. But these projects are completely voluntary. And aside from wanting to reverse climate change, I'd imagine these folks will only volunteer if they know for sure there's a market for these climate-smart commodities. And there's just no guarantee of that right now. 
but we need action right now. We don't have time to patiently lure these folks in with promises of potential profits. Feeding people is obviously a crucially important job. So farmers and farm workers should just be taken care of. They shouldn't have to worry about keeping their own head above water as they're doing the work that feeds everyone else. And yet direct government assistance to farmers has been decreasing, down even lower than before the pandemic. And instead, the USDA is spending money on partnerships with private corporations, which will ultimately benefit their bottom line. That doesn't make any fucking sense. Oh, but they're solving the climate crisis. Well, that's debatable. I'm sure there are plenty of decent projects the USDA is investing in, but let's take a look at one of them in particular. The Tyson Foods Incorporated Climate Smart Commodities Project. Yes, the Tyson Foods, who is known to be one of the biggest water polluters and greenhouse gas emitters in the world, thanks to their massive factory farms. And the USDA is giving them $60 million to lead a climate smart commodities project. What exactly is this project? This is the description. This project will expand climate smart markets and increase carbon sequestration and reduce emissions in the production of beef and row crops for livestock feed. Small and underserved producers will receive technical assistance and incentive payments to increase their capacity to reduce emissions and adopt climate smart practices. That seems intentionally vague. And you know, I personally couldn't teach you how to implement climate smart practices, but I sure as hell don't want a private company who's been knowingly horrible to the environment offering technical assistance on how to reduce emissions. How is that okay? Just give that money directly to farmers and send USDA officials to show them how to adapt climate smart practices. We don't need Tyson Foods or any other billion dollar corporation as a private partner in the fight against climate change. And again, I don't want to paint the picture that all these projects are horrible. I haven't looked into all of them in great detail. But I'm sure when you look hard enough, you'll find some questionable decisions, like this $50 million Climate Smart Potatoes project that Oregon State University is leading. That mostly seems fine, but when you look at the list of other partners involved, you'll find Frito-Lay, who's owned by Pepsi. You know, Pepsi, producer of billions of plastic bottles and local water thief. Yeah, how about we give that money to the indigenous farmers of the Pacific Northwest instead? But none of this really comes as a surprise. The Willow Project shows us where the Biden administration truly stands on the climate crisis. This massive oil drilling project in Alaska will pump out roughly 575 million barrels of oil in the next 30 years. And burning that oil will release 280 million metric tons of carbon into the atmosphere. This completely wipes out any progress those USDA climate smart projects would hope to make and Biden approved it. The wealthy elite don't give a fuck about the climate, and politicians are happy to take baby steps towards climate change solutions only if those steps are profitable for the private corporations. Oh, but they're creating jobs. The Biden administration loves touting the low unemployment rate while the Federal Reserve is actively trying to raise unemployment, but having a job or multiple jobs doesn't mean shit if you're not earning a living wage, especially when prices are still going up. Remember, food prices are expected to increase 8% this year. The excuse we've been hearing since the start of the pandemic is there are disruptions in the supply chain, so corporations have to raise the price of everything, of course. I'm sorry? Have you ever heard of you break it, you buy it? We didn't break the supply chain, so why should we pay for it? That's exactly what's happening. Corporations are pushing the cost of production and distribution onto consumers, onto you and me. But we can't pay for it. We can't pay to eat. It doesn't make any sense. But no worries. The USDA Forum had a solution for that too. To improve the resiliency of our agricultural supply chain, we just need to address the labor shortages. How do we do that? 
Maybe with wage increases, better benefits? No, of course not. Automation. I shit you not, in a session about the American agricultural workforce, one of the panelists was explaining that picking produce is about 50% of farm costs. So to help farmers stay in business and secure food supplies, farmers should get robots to harvest crops. That's right, the best way to deal with those pesky farmhands who are asking for a livable wage is just to replace them with robots. Robots to pick the fruits and vegetables and driverless semi-trucks to deliver them. That's the capitalist ultimate dream right there, having a profit-making machine with no labor costs. And this has been a concern for the working class for decades, even centuries, that we're all going to lose our jobs to machines one day. But honestly, we're still a long way away from that. Because currently, behind every attempt to seemingly automate our jobs away, there is a hidden workforce in even worse conditions making those machines and technologies function. So in reality, a truly resilient supply chain depends on taking care of the many, many workers who make it function around the world. But the bosses don't care about their workers because meeting our needs means less profit for them. That's why unions are so important because they're strength in numbers. And together we have the power to demand what we need and deserve. And workers in the logistics industries along the supply chains are immensely powerful. The railroad workers have been getting a lot of attention recently, rightfully so. But shipping, like overseas shipping, is another major choke point. At the forum, for example, there was some VP at a logistics company who said that the International Longshore and Warehouse Union has a virtual labor monopoly that could shut down shipping in and out of the West Coast. They've been having trouble negotiating a new contract with the Pacific Maritime Association since last May. No shipping in or out of the ports means commodities don't get delivered, which means profits aren't made. That gives the ILWU a lot of power. If they were to choose to go on strike, they can make huge demands. And if other unions like the United Food and Commercial Workers were to go on solidarity strikes to support the ILWU, they can make really impactful demands like raising the minimum wage for all workers, increasing financial assistance to farmers, halting the Willow Project. The list could be endless when you have widespread solidarity. Climate change is the crisis of our generation, and it's a global crisis, which means it could be the issue that brings the world together in solidarity. But obviously, conflicts make that questionable. You know, the forum took place on the anniversary of Russia's invasion in Ukraine, which was definitely a huge talking point at the forum because it affected the global food supply. It essentially removed millions of tons of food from the typical global export channel, which means that folks who were already struggling with food insecurity struggled even more, which is why the Black Sea Grain Initiative is so important because it mitigated some of the effects of the conflict. You know, this agreement through the UN essentially says that Russia will let grain and other food leave Ukrainian ports, which has been vital to exporting food, especially to developing countries who desperately need that food. It's not a perfect agreement, but it shows us that negotiation is possible. And there should be more of a diplomatic focus on not just extending and expanding the grain initiative, but to end the conflict entirely. There should be peace talks, not arms deals. We need global collaboration if we're going to save the planet. And we've done it before. Do you remember the panic we felt like 20 years ago about the hole in the ozone layer? Well, it's been healing and it's expected to make a full recovery because environmental activists around the world mobilized and demanded global cooperation for an international treaty that bans CFCs. Activists did that. Working class people did that. And we need that same global effort to mitigate the worst effects of the climate catastrophe and reverse it. We can come together around the world to find solutions, many solutions, which will look different everywhere. So while we're pushing for global collaboration at the same time, we also need to look more locally. Any way you can shorten the supply chain from the farm to your table, 
that's a good thing. So I will always, always recommend getting as much of your produce at a local farmer's market as possible. But that's not an option for a lot of people. Sometimes a Walmart or a Target or even just a gas station are the only options to buy food. So we need to make sure everyone can afford to eat. If we can't make it free, which is preferable, we sure as hell need to make sure food is affordable to those who have access and deliver it to those who don't, just for the sake of feeding people. But left to their own devices, corporations will just keep price gouging and withholding our basic need for food. The answer isn't automation. The answer is organized labor. The answer isn't private partnerships. The answer is public services. The answer isn't hustle culture. The answer is local sustainable agriculture. But the folks in power won't give us these solutions unless they feel pressure from below. And I'm talking from way below, grassroots. It's much easier to connect with the roots in your own community. The working class are the seeds for change. And together we can grow into something fruitful for everyone. Thanks for listening. Let's plant something new.